0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. I'm Peter Mogazel, the director of the Cystic Fibrosis Center at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. And with me today is Kenneth Olivier, who is a principal investigator in the Laboratory of Clinical Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Olivier and I will be discussing the highlights of his talk on non-tuberculous mycobacteria, Updates in Cystic Fibrosis presented at the 27th Annual North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome, Dr. Olivier.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. It's my pleasure.
0: Ken, there's been a lot of interest in non-tuberculous mycobacterium in cystic fibrosis. Why has this interest been uh, heightened lately?
1: Well, I think it's uh, predominantly because of a a change in uh, the species of mycobacteria that's been recovered more from cystic fibrosis patients. We've known since about the mid-1990s that there was an increased prevalence of mycobacteria in cystic fibrosis relative to the general population. Um, But in the mid-1990s when we uh, studied this in a representative sample of CF patients across the U.S., the prevalence was around 13%, and the majority of those isolates were from the Mycobacterium abium complex. What's changed since then is that um, in both a large single-site study at the University of North Carolina and from revisions to the CF Foundation registry um, is that the prevalent, overall prevalence estimate has remained about the same, but the proportion of Uh, those isolates uh, that are Mycobacterium abscessus has increased significantly. Uh, And I think that Mycobacterium abscessus in general has been uh, more problematic in cystic fibrosis, and uh, this has uh, been very difficult uh, in terms of management and knowing what to do with these organisms on the the part of both the CF providers and the patients.
0: So is it thought that acquisition of non-tuberculous mycobacterium, and I guess particularly uh, mycobacterium obsessus leads to a faster progression of lung disease or more symptoms?
1: Yeah, I think that's the general perception, and this was um, uh, held up by a, um, uh, or validated rather, by a single site study at the University of North Carolina where they followed a a fairly large number of uh, these patients over time and showed that The uh, rate of decline in lung function uh, among patients who had Mycobacterium abscessus was greatly accelerated compared to either those that were culture-negative for Mycobacteria or those that had other Mycobacterial species like Mycobacterium avium complex.
0: Is there any um, insight as to why Mycobacterium abscessus is more common these days?
1: Um, There's not. Um, You know, there has been um, some concern about whether environmental conditions may have changed um, that might lead to greater acquisition, about whether there's something about the organisms that might have increased their virulence or ability to be transmitted that might have led to the the increase. And there's been some concern that uh, perhaps some aspect of cystic fibrosis care, um, like the chronic use of macrolides, uh, may predispose patients to chronic infection with mycobacterium, particularly mycobacterium abscesses.
0: Now, you've done some uh, work on that and looking at uh, azithromycin use and the relationship with uh, mycobacterium prevalence, and I think you presented that at NACSC. What were the findings?
1: That's right. The, the concern came from a, a paper that was uh, published by the group at uh, Cambridge in 2011 that uh, initially raised this concern about the possibility of chronic azithromycin use uh, predisposing to M. abscessus. And they um, did a small study in their, their site um, showing a parallel increase in the frequency of isolation of M. abscessus um, with uh, the rate of increase in use of azithromycin and um, showed some uh, preclinical data in mice as well as some uh, benchtop data uh, suggesting that the, the chronic macrolides might affect a cell uh, housekeeping function called uh, autophagy um, that, that is thought to be important in mycobacterial control uh, that might allow for chronic infection, particularly with M. abscessus. Um, we were uh, quite concerned, as were many others in the CF community, about the implications uh, of this particular study, um, and we um, sought to, to get a better understanding by looking at the patient registry data Um, And since 2010, uh, the CF Foundation has increased the number of questions pertaining to mycobacteria that have greatly increased the utility of the registry as a tool for understanding population effects of non-tuberculous mycobacteria in the CF community. So we were able to design a case control study uh, where we looked at uh, patients who developed uh, incident-positive cultures for mycobacteria. Since 2010, and look back at their exposure history to chronic macrolides and compared that to patients who had remained uh, culture negative over a prolonged period of time for mycobacteria. In, in actuality, what we found was exactly the opposite of what the, the study from Cambridge had suggested, um, in that the patients that had been on chronic macrolides uh, were actually associated with a lower incidence of recovery of both mycobacterium avium complex, as well as mycobacterium abscessus.
0: That's actually very reassuring.
1: Yes, it was.
0: I know there's concern about occult disease and perhaps developing resistance. Um, Are there recommendations for testing for mycobacterium if you're using azithromycin?
1: Yeah, the CF Foundation recommends uh, testing for mycobacteria prior to initiation of chronic azithromycin uh, use uh, in, in patients that are on macrolides chronically, Um, that they should be screened for mycobacterium, at least on an annual basis.
0: One of the aspects of non-tuberculous mycobacterium uh, that's come to the forefront recently is the possibility that there's transmission between individuals with cystic fibrosis. In the past, that's not been a substantial concern. Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, that's exactly right, Peter. Um, You know, in the past, we and others um, had suggested that person-to-person transmission was not very likely based on epidemiologic studies and what was known then about the organisms. Um, However, since that time, um, the ability to do molecular studies on these isolates and um, the advent of the use of whole genomic sequencing where we could look very closely at identifying Islets that were identical within and between patients um, has uh, caused us to reconsider whether at least some of these organisms might be transmissible person-to-person. And th- this um, concern was first raised by um, a um, uh, what appears to be an, an outbreak of mycobacterium abscessus at, um, at the University of Washington in Seattle, uh, where there was a patient that Transferred in there uh, for consideration of lung transplantation, who had cystic fibrosis and was uh, chronically infected with Mycobacterium abscessus, and within a relatively short period of time, a number of patients on the transplant waiting list there became infected with Mycobacterium abscessus, and some of them even died. Um, and when those isolates were compared, um, they appeared appeared to be uh, identical by a technique called pulse field gel electrophoresis, which was fairly sensitive in looking for differences between those isolates. Uh, And this raised quite a bit of concern about the potential for person-to-person transmission. And um, equally as important, um, that center instituted infection control uh, measures similar to what would be done for Burkholderia, for example, um, and was able to stop the outbreak. Uh, once those measures were instituted, uh, there were no further um, new cases that were acquired at that site. Subsequent to this, and more recently, um, there was a paper again published by the group at Cambridge um, where they looked at um, a relatively nar- large number of patients with Mycobacterium abscessus, and in particular the subspecies of mycelianse, Um, and showed uh, very strong evidence by doing whole genomic sequencing um, that these isolates, um, the identical isolates, were being transmitted person to person. Um, And in fact, when they looked at the amount of heterogeneity or the differences between individual isolates, in some cases that difference was greater within an individual over time than it was between individuals, which was very strong molecular evidence of transmission person to person. They then did standard sort of what we call shoe leather epidemiology, um, connecting the dots over time um, of the organism going from patient to patient and showed a very clear um, direction um, that correlated with uh, overlapping time that these patients would have been in contact with each other um, that really pointed toward uh, a person to person transmission pattern. And this was very different than the um, connect-the-dots pattern among patients who had isolates that did not appear to be identical by these molecular techniques.
0: And Ken, this information about transmissibility has had an impact on the new infection control guidelines.
1: That's correct, uh, Peter. Um, there, there is concern about the potential for transmissibility, um, the the biggest problem right now is that we um, don't know for sure which isolates are likely to be transmissible or which patients are uh, likely to have the greatest potential for transmissibility. Um, there's ongoing work in our uh, laboratory uh, looking to see, uh, again, by looking at the whole genome of the organism, if we can identify um, certain genetic patterns within these organisms that might signal the possibility of, of them Uh, being transmissible. Um, There is growing concern, um, however, that we should institute the same infection control measures um, uh, centered around uh, non-tuberculous mycobacteria that we institute for uh, other organisms that um, may be highly transmissible among cystic fibrosis patients. The bigger concern is that if the transmissibility is airborne as it is for mycobacterium tuberculosis, those patients are usually isolated in what are called negative flow rooms. uh, And this might present a significant engineering problem for many sites that uh, aren't equipped with large numbers of these rooms that patients could be put into. So I think there's a lot of controversy and a lot of unknown right now about what infection control measures uh, need to be instituted and when those are appropriate. And we're hoping that some of the studies that are going on in the laboratory now may shed light on that uh, as well as the uh, potential effectiveness of uh, recommended infection control measures in, uh, in decreasing the likelihood of transmissibility.
0: Now, this is obviously going to be a challenge moving forward, uh, balancing safety with practicality. That's right. Let me just finish up by asking about your work on the consensus committee guidelines for therapy. Uh, what are the recommendations at this point for treating mycobacterium?
1: Sure. Um, this is. Uh, there's been an effort among the USCF Foundation and the European Cystic Fibrosis Society in the uh, first ever uh, joint guidelines um, uh, committee put together to address the issue of non-tuberculous mycobacteria and cystic fibrosis. And in particular, there's been Uh, a growing request among cystic fibrosis practitioners to have some uh, real-world practical guidance on um, how to manage mycobacterium abscessus in particular. Um, And they have asked for specifics of uh, what drugs to use, what doses to use, over what period of time patients should be treated, um, even if there's not substantial amount of uh, clinical evidence to support that um, as a place for them to start, uh, recognizing that this is a growing uh, concern and that, um, that there is a need for additional guidance um, on on what to do with these organisms. Uh, and so these guidelines, uh, at least in, in the draft form, do provide relatively specific uh, guidance on the management of M. abscessus and cystic fibrosis. And the general recommendations are that Um, Treatment should involve both an intensive phase uh, followed by a continuation phase, and the intensive phase uh, generally should include a daily oral macrolide, and there's a preference for azithromycin uh, for both um, the lower frequency of side effects and less drug-to-drug interactions and this should be uh, coupled with 3 to 12 weeks of intravenous amikacin uh, plus one or more of the following uh, drugs that are guided but not dictated by susceptibility tests. And those drugs include tigacycline, imipenem, and suffoxidin. And the duration of this intensive phase should be determined by the severity of the infection, uh, response to treatment, and tolerability uh, of the regimen. The continuation phase, uh, which should directly follow uh, this initiation phase, um, the recommendations are to include again a daily oral macrolide, and again preferably azithromycin, uh, inhaled amikacin, switching from the intravenous form to try to decrease toxicity, especially ototoxicity, over time, and two to three of the following oral antibiotics, again guided but not dictated by susceptibility tests. And these antibiotics would include minocycline, clofazamine, moxifloxacin, and linezolid.
0: Thank you, Ken. Having guidelines for therapy will be very helpful for clinicians moving forward.
1: I agree, and hopefully these guidelines will be out in published form in the near future and will at least give us a start for knowing how to manage these patients. And it's our hope that... Um, This will be coupled by uh, uh, clinical studies that will give us some confirmation of clinical efficacy of these guidelines and provide a a sort of a baseline for uh, evaluation of novel therapies or novel therapeutic strategies when those do become available.
0: No, I think you're right. This sounds like an excellent start. Ken, I'd like to thank you for joining me and providing updates on non-tuberculous mycobacterium and cystic fibrosis. To this special edition of *Cystic Fibrosis Review*. Please visit *CysticFibrosisReview.org* to view archive issues of our newsletter and podcasts.